The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on the Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on the Law Report. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address and also which of the documents you would like because I get quite a number of postings on the Facebook page just with an email address but it doesn't say what you'd like so please mention that in that posting as well. If you don't have access to Facebook you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list and then you can choose what you want and I'll send them to you after that. And there's a new document on there because we're going to be discussing anti-nuptial contracts this evening. So I went this afternoon and got some very fascinating and interesting information off Nicolene's website, skumanlaw.co.za. So that's also there if you're looking for information on that. Well, I'm joined, obviously, as now you've gathered once again this evening by attorney Nicolene Skumanlaw, director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Nicolene, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. And interesting, one of your favorite topics. Oh, most definitely. <laughs> Wills and antinuptial contracts, and then you're happy. Oh, definitely. Uh, <laughs> at, at least, you know, we, we see ourselves as a firm that, that help in, in establishing uh, successful unions rather than uh, assisting the, the demise. So Yes, absolutely. <laughs> with a bit of humor in, in there. If you have any questions for us, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010 0892102010 as you know it's the law clinic so pretty much anything but we will be focusing this evening on anti-nuptial contracts so if you're thinking of getting married anytime soon now's the time to ask those all important questions afterwards it's a bit late you yeah, have to sure. just, you have to come to the realization of what you're doing before you actually do it but before we get to the anti-nuptial contracts you as a firm have elected to focus on three particular services this year what tell me a little bit about what you're going to be doing well, um, 2013 was a very exciting year for us at uh, Skumanchaka Attorneys, and um, we want 2014 to be no different and to be much more exciting um, to surpass the previous. Uh, that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but hey, we'll give it our best <laughs> go. I mean, we, we rebranded, we welcomed a new partner and director, so... Um, we, it, it needs to be pretty great, which, um, which can surpass all of that uh, and those good, uh, pieces of good news. Um, as a firm of attorneys, we service the needs of entrepreneurs. Um, and with, with using that word, we, we don't only refer to startup operations, but also to more established and larger operations. So regardless of the phase within which the business finds itself, we can really service a, a holistic range of services related to your business's needs. So call it a business health check um, or more formally known as commercial law. So anything and everything that's got to do with business, that's one that has always been our core focus area and will remain such. 
Other than that, we've seen quite a lot of developments in the triple BEE space. So, um, and the deadline looming for compliance being October 2014. So it would only be fitting for us to, to focus on that and to assist businesses who may be heading into the threshold um, to comply, to be proactive, so to speak. I think maybe we should nearer the time start picking mm. up. I'll do a show on that particularly because yes. I'm sure people out there have got a lot of questions. Yes, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions Conception also if you watch the, the media surrounding the topic. So a uh, dedicated show I think would be quite useful to mm. business owners and for them to, to really be proactive and to strategize within your business um, while while we are talking about the topic and to really integrate it into your two-year plan, your five-year plan, whatever the case may be. Then of course what every business needs, a continuity plan. Now Continuity planning in our context is a very wide concept, and, and that's essentially where the wills, the anti-nuptial contracts, the trusts, all of those things would fall in. To a certain extent, it's where the commercial bit, or call it the, the, the legal medical aid, um, really does meet the personal side of, of things. So really to, to make sure that the business can go on when or if something happens to the business owner, albeit um, illness or or well, the inevitable death. So we'll then place, uh, put measures in place so, so that your business can continue to, to operate optimally um, and that it doesn't get managed by your executor, which is often your spouse that you've appointed in your you will. You might not have a clue as to what exactly, goes on. Exactly, um, and may actually sell your hard work for next to nothing um, without knowing it. So senselessly being devalued. So that's essentially my core focus within the, the firm. I also do assist with commercial law and with the BEE um, planning and advice. But um, as an area of, of specific expertise, that's, that's really where I come in within the firm. So it would only be fitting for us to have a conversation about about marriage and, and how your unions outside of your business, you can often say a partnership within business is like a marriage, um, how that affects your business. I think there's a lot of misconception, um, even in today's day and age where we have a piece of legislation that is more than 20 years old, we still have a lot of um, misconception, a lot of poor advice being given by marriage officers and ministers and pastors. So we really do, well, all the, all the marriage offices, I must say, I'm not singling out a single denomination or a single facet. It's, it's really something that we should be very clear on the basic rules. So I think it's a very useful show tonight. So we're going to be looking at antinuptial contracts and it's, it's this whole planning, wedding planning. If you, know, you plan your wedding, mm. which you know, people sort of plan the ceremony and the flowers <laughs> and the dress and the everything. But this doesn't seem to take such a big part, make such, up such a big part of the planning. It's really. actually, no, no, it isn't. It, and it's one of the, the most important facets of your wedding. Um, I didn't plan one too long ago, as you know. Yes. Um, and I must say, regardless of, of what I do for a living, we elected to focus on a few core things where we wouldn't cut on costs. And one of those things, um, and I always like to compare the anti-nuptial contract to this, was who we chose as a photographer. We did not cut any corners on that um, because at the end of the day, after all the food has been consumed and all the, the drinks have been enjoyed, 
that's the only thing you have left to show your children, your family, your friends, and the only thing you have left to treasure yourself. So on that basis, your antinuptial contract is a little like your photographs, but it's also something like a parachute as well. It's there to help you when when you cannot when you cannot really change anything or, or do much about your decisions that you've made. So it's really one of the most important uh, documents that you have to execute. And the the problem is that most people base their decision on who will do the drafting on price. So you have a lot of people who draft them for ridiculous amounts of money. And often when something does go wrong in terms of a divorce, and we hope not all marriages end in the statistic, but that piece of paper really does you more harm than it does good. There's a reason why only a notary can execute an antinuptial contract. Um, and because um, that portion of the law is, is very much focused on within um, the normal attorney's course as well as the notarial qualification. And, and it's, it's a very special, sensitive type of agreement that you enter into. So it needs to be drafted with care. Um, similarly, you have a lot of people overcharging, but uh, the undercharging is a big problem because you have a lot of people who've planned their entire wedding and only think about it, as you've said, at the last minute. When and they've spent the budget. Yes, or when the budget's very, very tight at that point, when there's no room to maneuver anymore. And you need to take, that's possibly one of the first things you need to budget for. Make that Most your first definitely. thing and then whatever's left. And it's not as if it's that expensive no, that it's no. going to take up your entire wedding budget. But no. make a plan. Put that in the budget. Don't sort of forget about it. Definitely. Because then you're going to have problems, heaven forbid, later on. Definitely. And don't listen to anyone that tells you, ah, oh, don't worry, we can sort this out after you're married. Um, there is some truth in that. But generally speaking, we have to sign it before the marriage and we have to register it at the deeds office after the marriage or within three months after signature to be technically correct. We actually have a call on the line that's going to come up in a little while. We're just going to mm, cross over and find out sure. about the soccer. But that's pretty much what he wanted to talk about. So okay. we'll, we'll speak to David after this. But in the meantime, it's time now to catch up with Mo Ali at Chan 2014 and the match between Libya and Ethiopia at the Free State, Free State Stadium. Mo, good evening. Nice very, to chat with you again. Very good evening to you, Karen, and a Happy New Year to you. Yes. We haven't spoken in the New Year. All the no. very best for mm. 2014 and all the listeners as well. Thank you. And uh, let's hope many marriages don't end up in divorce. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, we've had uh, 10 minutes gone in the second half, and it's a really festive atmosphere at the uh, Free State Stadium, and uh, that's been generated by a combination of uh, the Ethiopian fans who've travelled all the way up from Johannesburg to uh, Bloemfontein, and also the local Bloemfontein Celtic supporters who are known for their passionate and colourful support of the game, and it really is creating a very colourful and uh, festive atmosphere at the Free State Stadium, and the football's not too bad either. Libya are leading by a goal to nil. That goal in the fourth minute by uh, Mutasem Abushnaf. And what a goal it was as well. From a very acute angle, he struck the underside of the crossbar with a goalkeeper beaten for pace and power and uh, going across the line for the only goal of the game that far, thus far, which was uh, the score at halftime. But uh, the Libyans have looked a very well organized side as well. You wouldn't say that they've got the kind of political problems uh, that's associated with the country over the past two or three years. And uh, South Africa only hosting this 
Chan tournament and last year's African Cup of Nations tournament because the Libyans were unable to host it because of the political problems. But it's a very young Libyan side, many of the players in their early 20s, and they've uh, come to this tournament stating that they want to build a side for the 2017 Nations Cup, well, which they are due to host. So another change now being made uh, by the uh, Libyan coach, Javier Clemente, a former Spain national coach, and uh, he makes his first uh, change of uh, the evening, but it will be a corner to uh, Libya on the uh, far side. We'll just stay with this corner to see if anything transpires uh, from this as uh, the Ethiopians uh, prepare to defend uh, the set piece. It uh, will come in. It's, in fact, it's a free kick near the corner flag and uh, nothing comes of it as it uh, hits the two-man wall 10 meters away. So uh, 56 and a half minutes gone in this uh, second of the Group C games. If you missed it earlier on, Ghana getting their campaign off to a winning start. They beat uh, Congo Brazzaville by uh, one goal to nil. So nearly 57 minutes gone at the Free State Stadium. It's uh, Libya 1, Ethiopia 0. Muhammad Ali for SAFM Sport. Thanks, Moan. We'll chat with him again a little bit later in the show. You're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Attorney Nicolene Skuman-Lo, Director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic, so no fixed topic, but this evening we're also focusing on anti-nuptial contracts. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892 2010 and uh, David's on the line. David, good evening. Good evening. Hi, Hi. David. Do you have a question for Nicolene? Yes, my question was can, if you're already married, can you change between different marriage contracts? Yes, the, the short answer to that question is yes, you can change between contracts. Now, let's, let's just take a step back just for information of, of everyone else that has been listening prior to the question. Um, the ideal situation is to, to choose the correct form, the most suitable form to your marriage before you get married, to sign your antenuptial contract before marriage and to register it within three months after signature at the deeds office. So let's say we take the... the standard provision, this has not been done. In other words, there's no contract. Then you're married in community of property. So if you want to change your marital property regime, it will have to be done by way of application to the High Court. Now, in this application, you have to cite all your creditors because obviously, if you have a bond with any of the banks, for example, they have more security, less risk, so to speak, if two people are equally bound to pay the debt and by virtue of being married in community of property, you are equally bound whether you've signed up or not. 50-50 all the way, good or in bad. So if you want to change that, the bank in all likelihood is not going to like that very much. And that's where the problem comes in. Your creditors may oppose it and if they, f if they bring reasonable grounds to the table, so to speak, then you'll most likely not be successful in changing your marital property regime. In other words, it's a court case in the high court. Creditors are there. If they bring anything to the table that on a basis of reasonableness, um, it would constitute unfairness for your contract to be amended, then the court or the judge will not will not allow that. They will not find in your favor in, in legal terms. So 
The short answer is yes, there is a possibility, but it, it does cost quite a substantial amount of money. Um, and it could take quite a long time, and you have no guarantees. In many instances, people unknowingly failed to sign an antinuptial contract because they were ill-advised by some person. Um, and the court usually does consider that as a mitigating circumstance. So the sooner you, you try to change your marital contract or your marital property regime, the better. The better your chances are. So David, are you in the situation at the moment wanting to change it? No, but just something that popped up in my mind that I wanted to answer, uh, ask about. The actual thing is that when I was asked to to help some people to get uh, a world wrong up, and in, a, in, in the process, the person passed away, mm-hmm. who is the main estate holder, and then nothing could have been done. So... We're sitting with a situation now where the will was planned, but it's not on paper and it's not signed. Okay, so it's on paper but not signed. Yeah. Okay, do you have... See, in there are cases, and, and I can't cite the names of the cases. If you need the authority, I can look it up for you. But the principle is such. If you can prove that the... The deceased wanted that will to be drafted, and those were their last wishes, so to speak. You can bring an application to court to um, accept the unsigned will as a last will and testament, a legally binding document. But in cases where it's unsigned and you don't have correspondence or notes or people witnessing this, or you need to bring a lot of proof to the table there's a heavy onus on you to prove that that was in fact the last wishes so it it would be a, a tremendous fight but it could be done potentially obviously depending on the status of the evidence it's a difficult situation but there has been cases where the attorney um in this particular case that i'm thinking of did draft a will. There was email correspondence wherein the deceased um, requested certain amendments to the draft document the attorney had produced. And the email correspondence went back and forth and there were consultations that one of the junior attorneys sat in on. So there was enough evidence to the fact that that was the final draft and the final wishes of the deceased person. But there was a magnitude of documents proving that case. Do you have any documents, David? No, there is no written. Uh, it, it is just written down like you wanted uh, the estate to be done. Mm-hmm. It's basically just a house that you involved here. No furniture or cars or stuff. It's just a house that he wants to put onto his daughter. But that meeting didn't take place. So the thing is, it's written, but mm-hmm. it's not. So I understand the complexity of it now. Yeah. Uh, The only other alternative if you wanted to give effect to the deceased wishes would be to speak to all the heirs, to mention what was said, and to ask them if if they would consider what we call a redistribution agreement. In other words, to give effect to the wishes of the deceased, but redistribution 
means exactly what the word denotes. It means you are redistributing assets. So if one, let's say there are four kids and one house. So if one gets the house and three don't, then the one that gets the house must buy the other three out. If that makes sense. So that's the only other alternative to potentially give effect to, to the wishes of the deceased. But unfortunately, that's that's usually prone to conflict. Yeah, Those difficult situations. one, David. Difficult. Yes, sorry, it answers a lot of questions, yes. Well, I hope that helps oh, you. I hope that helps. Thanks for getting Absolutely. thanks for getting through, David. Good night to you. If you have any questions, call us now on 0892102010. Just going back to the thing you were talking to David about the creditors not possibly mm. being too happy, and you mm. mentioned the bond at the bank. Mm. That might be an issue if the bond was granted on the basis of the joint income. Surely. Yes. Um well, the banks follow their own formulas internally, but essentially if Two incomes facilitate the granting of the bond. In other words, when you make your application as party A and you don't get bond approval, but when party A and B being spouses married in community of property do it jointly, then you are approved. Then obviously the bond would be held jointly. The property would also be held jointly. But in many instances, the husband with wife's consent or vice versa would apply of own accord because you have this fundamental principle of being married in community of property, you sort of ring up all the debts on A's side, all the debts on B's side, all the assets in A's name, all the assets in B's name. You work out the balance and 50% of, of each balance belongs to the other in simple, simple mathematical terms. So even if the bond was granted jointly, then it just on paper denotes the default position. Okay. That's the only only thing. And the banks often use the joint application as the basis of their objection to the application. Okay. So you have a better chance of success from from the finer detailed perspective if party A only um, got, uh, obtained the bond um, and not with the help of Party B's um, income. So but it's just all that much easier just to do it before you got just married. Just do it before so. you <laughs> get married. It costs a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money. No one can give you a guarantee. Mm. So you can go through all that effort and remember service of all the creditors. So most most of us responsible <laughs> folk who don't have so much debt only have three or four people to notify. But then we've got people who have all sorts of different financing plans and so on and so forth and have statuity for business debts. And then it makes it a 10, 20, 30 party, a piece of paper that has to be circulated all around. And that's really how the costs can quite literally snowball on you. Now, we're talking about antinuptial contracts. Are there still two types? There's this, the mm. regular one, and then there's the one with the cruel. Yes. It's still like that. Yes. Okay. Since 1984, we've had um, the two contracts. So you can either be out of community of property or out of community of property with the application of the accrual system. We often explain to clients to say out of community of property without the accrual system is quite simply what is mine is mine and what is yours is yours. So if if all goes well and people record their assets appropriately, let's call it that, the bigger 
assets are not really the problem. I mean, if one purchases a house, for example, a property, it usually gets done in both spouses' names. It's the couch and the dining room and table. And I bought the washing machine and you bought the tumble dryer sort of thing. Okay. Often we refer to those items as the gray area goods. So you could either um, follow the approach of saying, if we can't agree, we sell everything 50-50, we walk away. Or you find yourself in, situ in the situation where people fight over cups and saucers and knives and forks and so on for years and years and years. So both the systems come with a bit of risk in terms of you have to plan, you have to be responsible about it. So if you're going to marry out of community of property, don't be petty. I'm by no means um, advocating for useless administration, but in some way or form, um, keep some form of record and or be willing to to call it a day and call it school fees or whatever you want to write it off to. So both both systems are, are none is superior and the other inferior. They're just uh, more suited to different kinds of people. So right. we'll get to the accrual, I think, in a little bit. In a moment. Let's just speak to John in Standerton. John, good evening. Hello, ma'am. How are you? Very well. How are you? All right. Yeah. I've got a question, man, and then maybe I'll listen on the radio. Okay. Yeah, my father has a problem about... Uh, uh, in 1989, there's a there's a woman she was he was work, he was working for, mm -hmm. and that woman died in 1989 and left an uh, an estate in a farm. Mm -hmm. So our problem is that uh, we've been trying as a matter of effort to find out about uh, uh, the declaration of a will and so forth, but uh, we seem to be finding a problem because. Uh, my father doesn't have the details about the decision, so we need some uh, clarification whether maybe what are the procedures to follow if you want to to register uh, maybe it's just this Question: Question: 1989. That's a long time ago, John. Yeah, it is a very yeah, long time. Yeah, at that time I was really, really young, but uh, with my father still staying on the property, and uh, uh, we willing to uh, register it. He's still there now. Sorry? Is he still staying there now? Yeah, he's, he's still staying there now, but uh, the problem is that we want to register that before maybe anything happens to him. Oh, so mm. basically she left him the property? Yeah, apparently on the on the wheel, but uh, we tried to lawyers and uh, I don't know why they, they, they did go in 1990 uh, to inquire from the lawyer or whatever. How will he declare the will and so forth? But uh, uh, that was a long time ago, and uh, apparently, from the law firm, the previous owner also passed away. Then I don't know what's happening. And then we can't, we can't even find a way because uh, last year I went to, to Pretoria just to try and find out whether. Where, where is the property, John? Mm. The property is in, is in Mpumalanga. Okay, then you'd have to go to the court in Mpumalanga to go mm. and get the will there. Nicolene, I'm yes. sure. Yes, the master of the High Court's office um, over there should should be the relevant one to speak to. Now, I must say I've never uh, dealt with, with the master's office in that province, so I cannot attest to the status of the archives and those kind of things. The thing is, when it's between five and eight years after the estate has been wrapped up, it goes into archive at the master's office. It doesn't 
it doesn't get destroyed or anything like that. It just goes into archive. So trying to get those documents may legitimately take a couple of days or a couple of weeks because someone has to go down to the vault and actually look for it. But why would it, it hasn't been wrapped up because, I mean, nothing's happened with his father getting the property, so it couldn't have been wrapped up. So where no, is it? No, well, if no action gets taken, it similarly oh, it goes, just goes to the vault. Okay. There's, it's a space issue to my understanding from from um, understanding the master's office practice um, both in the Gauteng province, Freestead and here. Um, the key bit of information that you need to obtain is the deceased's ID number. So if you know the property's earth number or the physical address of the property, if she were to leave the property to your father, then she must be an owner of that property. So the starting point would be to get the earth number of the property so that you can go to the deeds office to get a copy of the title deed um, which will give you the ID number, which you then take to the master's office in Mpumalanga, with, and they can then look up um, the file number and retrieve the file where the will will be located. So it's a bit of a domino effect. Oh, sorry, sorry, but you know about, about the property detail, I did go to Pretoria. John? Hello, John? Oh, we've lost John. Uh, maybe we can try and get John back because he said he'd gone off to... Oh, yes, no, we've lost the line. But while we're trying to get that John back, there's another John on the line from Polokwane. <laughs> John in Polokwane, good evening. Good evening, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. Um, maybe you could uh, assist me or give me an advice on uh, my dilemma. Um, uh, we have a will of uh, my late father and my late mother. Um, that they signed jointly. Mm -hmm. um, so then, dear father is my is uh, is my stepfather. Mm -hmm. So then, on that will, they've written that everything that they've acquired mm -hmm. should go to their children. Yes. So then, yeah. So then, what happened is that um, my father has um, other children outside um, the wedlock. When mm. I say my father, I'm referring to my stepfather. Yes. Uh, then um, what happened is that my, my mom uh, passed away first. Then my father went and uh, claimed uh, on behalf of um, my mother's estate. Mm. Then later on, the fa my father passed, passed on as well. Mm -hmm. So then now that they've written a will, and on that will they said everything should go to their children. Mm-hmm. So when we go um, to claim, uh, to do all those things uh, uh, in terms of um, acquiring their properties mm -hmm. and stuff, then I'm told that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be part of the estate because he's not my biological father. So then I just wanted to know on that, um, how, how does it work? Who told you that, John? Can you not hear me? Uh, no, I said, who told you that you couldn't, you weren't part of it? Um... It was the uh, it was the bank that said that the, the people who actually are handling the uh, the the estate at the bank. But you, your mother's child, and it says our children. Therefore, mm. you are your mother's child. Uh, but, but what what did they inform me that uh, my father has already uh, claimed um, part of my mother's es uh, estate. Mm. So then that estate has been re uh, relinquished. So then the estate that is now left is that of my uh, my father. 
Okay, well, it, de it depends how the will was structured exactly, word for word. Um, you know, if there's any, in, in drafting these documents, we always refer to having uh, alternative clauses in them. So, for example, um, if I were to die, my surviving spouse inherits everything. However, if we die simultaneously or within 30 days of one another, so that makes provision for um, incidences such as car accidents and comas and so forth, then it would go to our children. So what I'm trying to say to you is sometimes wills have more than one clause in them. And most of them start with leaving everything to the spouse and then from there onwards, if you were to die together or reasonably close to one another, then it would devolve on the children. So one will have to look at exactly what the will provided for. But from let's let's say that the 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 document only had one clause and it was this clause that you've referred to. The a joint will, one of the positive or negative, depending on, on the circumstances, aspects of a joint will is that it binds the person who's left behind. So if you have a one-liner to say, our estate goes to our children, then unless the children renounce their inheritance, in other words, say we don't want it, it has to go to the children at that point. But or now, at least what is the this, mother's share. What is the story about the father having claimed the mother's share? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. That's why I say the only aspect where, where that could have been done lawfully is if the will made provision for it or someone renounced. Yeah, a or um, B. Can I, can I just interrupt? Because mm. um, what, is, what the will said, it said um, if, one, if the one spouse uh, dies first, then um, the property will go to the, uh, to the surviving mm. spouse. Should... Or uh, should uh, both sp uh, spouses pass away? It doesn't specify the time. Mm -hmm. it, it just says should all this, uh, the, the, the spouse, uh, I mean, uh, the partners uh, pass away, then everything should be um, given to our children. Then it mm -hmm. further specifies that, because um, um, with me, I've got a, a brother that is within the, wed um, mm -hmm. the wedlock. Then it says uh, further, uh, John should look after Peter. Okay. Now that clarifies a whole lot. Um, all I'm going to say is that that's, I feel I need to say this, bad drafting mm -hmm. creates disputes for those left behind. That's mm -hmm. why you need someone to draft the will properly because you are no longer there to explain or to speak for yourself what you mean by when we die. That's mm -hmm. the one certainty we have in life. We all will die. So with making that provision to say my spouse gets everything and when we both die, our children get everything, from a narrow interpretation of that, that would mean that you have to distribute that in entire estate across all the children. Whether yeah. they are the children with... Remember, children in, the, in terms of the Wills Act means an adopted child or a biological child. So from both parents' perspectives, your mom had her children and, and your stepfather had his children and they had children together. So all those children should have benefited from one portion of the interpretation. So yeah. I would suggest so, you get yourself an attorney and you challenge the will. Yeah, because so what, what, the bank, what the bank has really said is that um, it, it said um, to me that um, I should prove that 
I am a, a legally ad- adopted uh, child. So then, um, and which is what um, I failed to produce, because according to our custom, so then mm. whenever a person marries um, another uh, uh, another person with a child, automatically they adopt that as a child. Hence, I even changed my surname from my maiden uh, mom's surname to the father's surname. Oh, well, then then please do approach an attorney in your area and challenge it. You you um, may um, very well have a, without me having seen the document, of course, mm-hmm. on the basis mm-hmm. of what you're saying, you may very well have a case. All right. But do it sooner rather than later. Mm, don't leave it, John. Okay. Because when it's gone, it's gone. You know, when they've handed out the inheritances, you can challenge it. There's no prescription. It doesn't but expire. But they would have spent it all. But they would have spent it all. So, practically speaking... Don't leave it. Yes. Don't leave it. Right. Do it. Do it soon. Good luck to you, John. Thanks for getting through. Okay, Good. thanks very much. Pleasure. Good night. Right, we have John, in st- the other John, back on the line in Standerton. John, hello. Are you back with us now? Yes, hello, ma'am. Hi. Okay, you were telling us something before we suddenly lost you on the phone. Okay. I was, I was saying about the property detail. From the property detail, the only thing I can deduce is that is the date of birth of the deceased person. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another thing is that this morning I did inquire uh, from the master of I court in Nelspruit. Mm-hmm. And then what they said over the phone to me is that uh, I must have the ID number. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly and, uh, what I said. You need the ID it, number if you have sorry, the... Sorry, ma'am. Mm. Let me just... In, in, in case I don't have the ID number, also I must be related or to the to the deceased person. Then uh, that's where my confusion did came. No, no, it's the, a public the document. The relation, I, I don't, I don't know because the deceased person he was the owner of the of the of the farm, and the, yes. my father was working, and so I don't know whether he should be related to a person. No, when it's no, no, not at all. It's, once once documents are filed with the master of the high court, they become public documents. It's like filing a company registration document with, with SIPSI. Um, it becomes um, open so for Anybody for could go and have viewing. a look. Yes, so right. if you have the date of birth and, and the names, you could go to Home Affairs to get a copy of the birth certificate or death certificate. Um, that will give right. you the ID number. And... The date of of death. You'll you'll need as much information about who the person was and when they died to most quickly obtain the file. Once you have the file, then you can get a copy of the will. It it used to cost about four and fifty per page for copies at the master's office. I believe it's a little more now um, with with the uh, with the new year and all of that. So give or take a couple of couple of rands for the certificate from home affairs which is about 30 rand these days and then a couple of of rands for the copies of the will um the will and if they have in fact dealt with the deceased estate um a copy of the liquidation and distribution account so you can see who actually got Got what what. and then once you have that go and see an attorney but it's not true that you can't look at that document no. at the master's office because, as Nicolene says, it's a matter of public record now. Mm. All right. No. Thank you, ma'am. All the best. So don't let them tell you that. All right. Okay, you, John. Good luck to you. Good night. Right. Bye-bye. Off to Santon. Linda, good evening. Hi. Good evening to you. Hello, Karen. Hi. And hello to your guest. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to ask a simple question, but um, for me it's actually very important. Mm-hmm. Um, if a parent decides for whatever reason that they are disinheriting their child, mm-hmm. 
okay? Um, if the child is not in the will, in other words, if you make a will out and that mm-hmm. child's name is not in that will, yes. can that child uh, decide at any time to contest that will? Yes, of course they can decide uh, whether they'll be successful as the other the other side of of the coin. Yes, um, is, is the child any minor? Particular wording or word that one can put into a will that can prevent a person contesting to it? No, no, unfortunately not, because we've got this. Um, common law rule in our legal system that um, translates from the Latin to uh, your right to be heard. Mm-hmm. So if someone has or is that dissatisfied with something, they're allowed to voice their grievances. Now, whether or not those grievances are legally enforceable mm-hmm. um, is a whole other question. Um, but similarly, in our, our law, and this is also courtesy of common law, we have the freedom of testation. So if you um, do not want your child to inherit for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, and there's no duty of maintenance which um, and, and care, which would be a ground for legally contesting a will, mm-hmm. um, then there would be no legal footing to stand on, so to speak. So... Merely simp- uh, leaving the, the child out of the will and there's no duty of, of care and support, mm-hmm. they can contest it if they wish, but they won't get far. I see. Uh, just one more question. If, for example, the will is with the bank, where it actually is at the moment, mm-hmm. um, I mean, uh, to take on the bank, they've got their own attorneys and what mm-hmm. have you, uh, is that a better situation than going privately to a lawyer? Uh, where would you say that their will would be... I know this is an awkward question. Mm-hmm. Where would that will be better off? In the, uh, the hands of a lawyer? Private I, or in the bank? Where you're just a number, as I understand. Um, my, my view on... Um, my view on... on Anyone other than attorneys drafting a will, and I don't mean any offense to, to anyone, this is merely my opinion. Mm-hmm. I feel as attorneys, you are trained in proper drafting. Mm-hmm. We had a, a, a listener who illustrated quite clearly how badly some institutions can draft wills, and which mm-hmm. effectively is going to take those people to court now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the thing although you've got the backing of the attorneys and all of that, Mm. the big risk you're running is that it may not be drafted that well and on that point, contesting the will may be successful. So if Uh, I were you, I would rather go for an attorney who specializes um, that that you, um, in in the drafting of wills and estates, so that they draft it and they can keep it in their safe. I mean, they're attorneys as well um, and they can assist with any litigation that may or may not happen most firms um, us included we when we sign a will or assist the client in signing a will we do it in duplicate so you sign two you take one with you and you put it in a safe place as client and the other one stays with the attorney they have done that at the bank Mm. Uh, they have um, I have got one with me and the other one they have kept the original they've kept and they've given me a copy. Yes, um, the the copy will never be the legally enforceable um, 
well, I see. for, for bad grammar, for two copy. originals. Yes. Is that we, what you're saying? Yes, we, we give clients two originals, yes. um, but that's that's maybe a unique firm practice. I don't know yes. how other attorneys do it, but essentially you've got you've got a bit of a fail-safe, so to speak. It's yes. st stored with the attorney, um, and if they're notaries as well, in a notarial standard, which yes. means only one person has access to that safe, it's um, it's never destroyed. Your copy is never, after five years or seven or whatever, um, destroyed or, or thrown out. So yes, yes, understood. I would I would pick a, a specialist attorney and have it done there, so that you can make sure that it's someone who does it every single day and someone who's duly trained to do it um, as best Now, possible. how can one get hold of a specialist attorney? Because I, as a layperson, doesn't know of anybody like that. Mm. I would so appreciate it. I don't know if you're allowed to recommend <laughs> somebody or if you can just, um, just leave it offline and I can phone and get a number from uh, whoever. Um, it would help me. At least it would put me on the right road. Somewhere, somewhere, I in, don't know somewhere in Johannesburg. I Linda. am in Johannesburg. Yes, yeah, yeah. See, I would normally in this case, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, say contact the Law Society mm. of the Northern Provinces. Yes. And they would be able to recommend somebody from their side. Okay. I don't know whether you'd be comfortable doing it yourself, Nicolene. Well, we, we serve quite a lot of clients who, who either commute um, yes. abroad to South Africa or all over the place. Yes. Um, as we also serve people around the country, um, we've got a, a range of electronic facilities to get the instruction, to take the instruction properly. Um, by email, one can, can get quite a lot done. So um, that's right up my alley. That's what so I do basically, every day. Basically, Linda, what Nicolina is saying is if you'd like to get hold of her, I can. have you got a pen? I can give you her contact details now. Thank you. Just hang on a minute. Let me just get Sorted out. Okay, all right, so you're not uh, just doing okay, things based on Cape Town. Okay, right. Um, the office number is 021 yes. 4255 yes. 604. 604. Yes. And her email is nf. Uh, look, Corin, I'm not. Oh, uh, you're I'm not an email. Oh, right. I'm going to phone. Okay, great. And um, I'll, I'm sure I'll be able to. Um, to yes. have a word with her. With Nicolene, right. yes. And, and it's now, it's 021-4255-604, is that That's right? That's correct, and That's it's correct. Nicolene. And it's Nicolene. Nicolene. Yes. Thank you very much, If Karen. I'm not there, you can just Thank leave you, a message. Nicolene. Just Great. leave a message if she's not there. Thank you so much. Thanks, Linda. Good luck to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Just one thing, if you do this whole complicated will thing, can you not just say in the will, it is my express wish, express wish that X, Y, and Z do not inherit anything? Yes, you could. Would that not just make it more simple? We could. Um, but, but still, if that person feels aggrieved or they um, have some um, some issue with what the wishes were, they could still kick up a stink for, for lack of a better so phrase. So rather get so, all technical if you um, have to. It's it's unfortunately we've we've seen it in so many cases where impeccable drafting you think people know exactly in a in a contract setting who does what and who what is allowed and what is acceptable and what not, but still you have people who um, do exactly the opposite or they are completely uh, completely unaware or choose to be. It's a difficult situation. Not, so. not an easy place to be in.
The Specsavers Summer Promotion is back. Get a free pair of single vision prescription sunglasses up to the value of 2,100 Rand. That's right, free prescription sunglasses. To get yours, simply purchase an eye test and prescription spectacles. Plus, you can upgrade your free sunglasses to polarized lenses, eliminating blinding glare for only 299 Rand. Promotion ends 31 January 2014. Specsavers, for affordable eye care and a whole lot more. T's and C's apply. The Law Report with Karen Key. Right, you're back with us on The Law Report, and we're talking about anti-nuptial contracts. Well, not specifically, but that's our sort of focus this evening. And a little earlier, you said we were going to talk about the other type of anti-nuptial contract. We spoke about the regular one, mm. and now there's the one with the cruel. Let's, not now there is, but there's been yeah. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's just briefly, I don't want to make it too complicated. That's why you go for that consultation and, and someone takes you through it step by step. But essentially, the accrual incorporates a calculation to take place on termination of marriage. Now, termination means um, death or divorce. So it kicks in in either circumstance. So what would happen then is you would have a commencement value. In other words, you would uh, calculate how your asset value um, in going into the marriage. Hopefully your estates will grow. You know, you'll, you'll collect more assets and you'll get to a termination value uh, on date of death or if, if the case be divorced, then so be it. And then you'll basically deduct the beginning from the, the from the end value, you'll get a balance, and that's what we call the accrual. And the one that shows the, the largest accrual shares with the one with the least. So it's it's basically a calculation and then divided by two. So many people say in simple terms that you... Um, you are combining in and out of community of property. Yeah, I was property. about to ask. It's almost like having an anti-nuptial contract with a community of property thing in the middle. Yes. Uh, many people describe it like that. I, it, You don't share debt. So it's, in my view, oh, very you incorrect. Oh, okay. You only share assets. And you only share the assets that you build up together in the marriage. So... Essentially, you can also make some exclusions, so gifts, usually donations, um, and then, of course, your, your inheritances are automatically excluded from this calculation story. But in addition to that, any family heirlooms or any specific asset that you don't want to form the basis of a legal dispute on divorce would also ideally be excluded. And on that point, we always recommend that clients exclude pension um, or, or any funds intended for retirement purposes. Because if you don't budget or act responsibly for the accrual purposes and keep in the back of your mind that you may be the one having to pay out this amount of money unexpectedly, then where else are you going to find money but to call your employer and to say, no, I need to make a withdrawal or you need to sign an agreement, a settlement agreement in court on divorce authorizing the share of your pension with your ex-spouse. Um, by the way, not all pension funds allow that anymore, but without digging into that, it's a good thing to exclude that and, and of course, the, the assets that are very very unique to a specific family. This sounds very complicated to me. I, I like the original <laughs> antinatural contract. Yours is yours, mine is mine, or as I like to tell my oh. husband, sometimes his is also mine. So that's the way I decide it works. But, yeah, it just, that just sounds a whole lot less complicated than all this. I don't know. That's just, yeah. But I suppose some people prefer that. So. No, I think you, you need to. What's what works for you, I suppose. It's all about. Mm. Um, becoming economically dependent 
on someone else mm. uh, because you want a family or something unforeseen happens. So um, it's really, it, it depends on, on what type of couple you are and what type of dynamic you have. Some people don't want to plan to, to keep the gray area from growing, as I referred to earlier. Um, and others, others like to talk about everything and to plan things meticulously. So it really just depends on, on what would work best for you as a couple. And that's why you need to get an antin up and to make sure the person who's dealing with it knows what they're talking about and they can take you through all of this and answer any specific Before questions. Before you tie the knot. Before you tie the right, knot. Right, well, let's pop over now and catch up with Mo Ali um, at the Chan 2014 match between Libya and Ethiopia at the Free State Stadium. Mo, any more score? It was 1-0 the last time we spoke. Well, it ended up 2-0 uh, to the Libyans and a well-deserved victory as well for the uh, North Africans. They scored seven minutes from time. Substitute Abdusalam uh, Omar making the game safer when he scored from close to the penalty spot latching onto a pass from Faisal Saleh down the right-hand flank and a really well-deserved victory for this young Libyan side comprising players in their early 20s and late teens as well so a very very good victory and the first game in charge for the former Spain national coach Javier Clemente and he will be well satisfied with the performance of his side they now go top of Group C together with Ghana but having scored two goals to nil as opposed to Ghana's 1-0 win over Congo they go ahead uh, of, of Ghana on uh, goal difference and that really sets up uh, Friday's uh, clash between those two Ghana and Libya at the Free State Stadium sets it up very nicely indeed atop of the table clash the Ethiopians certainly had their chances but they simply failed to convert them but what impressed about this uh, Libyan side was their organization and uh, the way they moved the ball around the pitch and really paying off uh, the uh, month-long camp that they've had uh, prior to this tournament and uh, it really shows some great organization a big surprise because uh, the Ethiopians uh, brought out uh, many of the players who played in the World Cup qualifiers and also last year's African Cup of Nations but a very good win for this Libyan side who've come here and uh, stated that their aim is to prepare a team for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations which they will be hosting so the final score then from the Free State Stadium it's uh, Libya 2 Ethiopia 0 very good night to you from the Free State Stadium. Thanks, Mo. And we'll be catching up with Mo for the rest of the week. There's lots of matches on this week. I think there's two on every night. So we'll be catching up more with him the rest of this week, tomorrow night and Wednesday again. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skuman-Lo, Director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries, Public Practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report Programme. Nicolene, once again, thank you so much indeed for imparting all this wonderful information. We always learn so much when you come into the show. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me and it's only a pleasure. And we hopefully that you'll take Nicolene's words to heart mm. and... Uh, Make sure you sort all of this out before you tie mm. the knot and make sure you put this all into your budget when you're planning the wedding. It's not all about definitely. the dress and the flowers and the cake. <laughs> it's also about your future and this is a big part of it. Oh, definitely. And Nicolene, if I give out your contact details if people would like to get hold of you? Yes, yes. If you'd like to get do. hold of Nicolene, she's on 021-425-604 or you can email her nf dot skuman at skumanlaw.co.za and the website is www.skumanlaw.co.za Well the Law Report program is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10 and Nicolene will be back with us again for another Law Clinic on Monday the 10th of February and just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page Law on SAFM if you'd like any of them post a message on the Facebook page please include your email address as well as exactly which 
of those documents you'd like me to send you, or you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with our monthly phone-in on health matters. And this month we'll be talking about your hearing, all about noise-induced hearing loss and tinnitus and all those bothersome things that you have problems with. And my guest will be Professor Bart Fink, so join me then. 